All right. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I think there might be a couple new faces out there. I'm Ken Reeder. Um, been here for what seems like forever, and then uh, God moved us down to uh, Rifle to help start a church down there called uh, Reconciled Church. It meets on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. at the Rifle Library, and uh, uh, it's going well. We have uh, three of us that do a combination, a kind of like a round robin of preaching and teaching, and then there's a couple of us uh, that do the worship leading, and then every once in a while we'll have local folks come in and uh, lead worship on kind of a special occasion. So uh, we're preparing uh, this fall. We've been going at it for probably six to nine months. And then this fall, we're going to do a, a big push out into the, the rifle community. And uh, we'll probably reach into Silton, Newcastle as well, just kind of doing reach out and, and ministry in those areas and then uh, see how the church grows from there. Our intention and our goal, the church's name is Reconcile. Uh, and I know it's kind of a funny name for a church, um, but Reconcile means to be made right. So, uh, and our first goal is to be made right in a relationship with God, and then the second is to be made right in your relationship to mankind together. So that's where the foundation of love God and love people and uh, get your heart right with God and get your heart right with people around you. So that's kind of the foundation of the church. So, but I'm glad to be with you guys. And uh, I actually, I'm really humbled and privileged that I was called and asked to come. So uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. So let's have a word of prayer and uh, let's dive into the scriptures. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Um, thank you uh, that you made it possible for Matt to go back and help handle some things going on in his family. I pray that you would give them a very fruitful time there and uh, give them wisdom uh, to know uh, how to encourage and lift up um, his family. I pray that you would uh, be honored in our time here today. Um, we thank you for this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, 1 John chapter 1. Um, we're going to talk about um, something called fellowship. Um, as a church, uh, we hurt together, we celebrate together, we get hurt, and we basically, our lives are lived together. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about three things. Fellowship, what is it? How do we do it? And what are some potential barriers? Um, I'm going to start that off kind of with a, uh, I, I have to tell you, my illustration is insanely cheesy because of where it begins. Um, the word fellowship, uh, in, the, in the original language, it means koinonia. And uh, the koinonia, it means a fellowship, association, joint participation, intimacy. And I have, for the sake of cheese and practicality, um, and you'll never, ever forget it, Imagine a bunch of fellows in a ship. Fellowship. It was way funnier when... <laughs> in my head. Uh, a bunch of fellows in a ship. Uh, it, think about it. Put a bunch of fellows in a ship and they are stuck with each other. And the age of Magellan in the, the 1500s, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the year... 1492, okay. So that began the trek from that a western coast of Europe trying to find a faster route to the Indies. 
Well, little did they know that there was a continent in the way. Um, and Christopher Columbus actually didn't land, and most people know this, but for those of you that don't, maybe your geography's a little off, where did Christopher Columbus land first? Where? San Salvador? Uh, somewhere, yeah, the, the, the lower islands down there. I always always understood it was to be Bermuda, or south, south, just south of Bermuda. So, but uh, the age of Magellan... Anybody remember who Magellan is? Here's your history class, Wyatt. Pay attention. Well, Ferdinand Magellan, he was a Portuguese guy, um, basically tasked by Spain to find a faster route from Spain all the way around to a certain islands where they got very valuable spices. And they thought that it went like Spain, a big body of water, and the basically the the Pacific Rim. Um, and as I as I studied it, it was really really intriguing to me because can you imagine having sailed for? I mean, they had done it a few times, like 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. They had after he had gotten there, they started making these regular trips because all of a sudden it was a race. It was a race to those spice islands. Well, life on a ship in that time period was very, uh, it was not an easy life. If you were on the ship, uh, you were encountered by an insane amount of hardship. Um, let's, a couple of things that you would have to deal with. Um, vermin in food. So rats and mice and everything get into your grain. And what do they do when they get in grain? They're not, none of them are potty trained, by the way. So when you get all these guys in the ship and, and you had these cakes, they made these specific cakes. And uh, if you got them and there weren't worms in them, you were fortunate. And after you've been in a ship for three, four months, you don't care what's in them, because if you don't eat, you're going to die. So having the worms in there provided just a little bit of extra protein. And I know it's gross, but it's true. Um, hurricanes were, uh, especially when you got over into the New World area, the hurricane season was entirely different. So they were regularly smashed into, uh, basically there's an awful lot of gold on the bottom of the ocean. Um, Scurvy. Have you ever researched what scurvy is? Um, the lack of vitamin C in your diet does really, really bad things to your skin. Um, and just looking at photos of it, and they fix it all with the, the addition of lime juice. Put it in a barrel, put it on your ship, and they fixed scurvy. But that was a normal thing. And then pirates. Obviously, they'll, I'll let you go get the booty, put it on your ship, and when your ship sails away, I'll attack your ship, take the booty, kill you, and I've made a lot of money instantly. So the piracy back then was, was crazy too. So life on the ship was not an easy one. So when we take this idea of, let's take the church and compare it to the life on a ship. So, what do we have as a church that's very similar to a ship, to a ship's life? Well, first of all, we have a shared destination. 
The second is a requirement to work together. Because if you don't work together, bad things happen. Okay? And, and I'm more talking about the church than old ships. Um, small, small differences have to be set aside for the sake of your final destination. It's really easy for us as Christians to get wrapped up into small differences because a lot of times we lose sight of our final destination. The willingness to set aside the petty for the sake of the completion of the voyage on a ship was a given. Um, things like mutinies and stealing food and crazy things like that that actually happened on a ship, they had really, really swift and intense consequences. Um, let's put it this way. The more important the mission, the greater the willingness to increase the list of things that they considered petty. Um, and by the way, one other thing. When there, was a, uh, when there was a storm, a bad storm, it was all hands on deck. Most of the time, they had four-hour shifts. You were on four hours, off four hours, on four hours, off four hours. That's how they got through their cycle of 24 hours. And they had usually two or three crews. But when it was hurricane, time for a hurricane, everybody, you weren't sleeping. You were on deck uh, trying to keep that ship afloat. So let's take that and a bunch of fellows on a ship, let's bring it into the church. This kind of an idea. Um, <clears throat> First John, chapter 1. And let's go through verses 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship or koinonia with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's stop there. So 1 John, chapter five through, uh, 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 talks specifically about something called fellowship. And he talks about the foundation of what it is, this idea of having a common goal and a common destination in life. And let's kind of walk through this in these verses. Now, in this one, it says, if we, uh, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, um, it's a picture. So the idea is, if you can take and shut all these lights off and remove all sources of light, and we have true, utter darkness, it makes life really, really interesting. I'll, I'll say it this way. It can make life really irritating. Because if you can see nothing, what do you end up doing? You end up in stumbling. You end up bumping into each other. You don't know who you're bumping into. And after a while, you're bumping into enough people that it's going to start irritating you and others. So, but you add a little bit of light, just one source of light 
into a perfectly dark area, what's your first response, especially in the middle of the winter and you flip that light on? What's your first reaction? Oh, it's kind of like it hurts. It hurts your eyes. And a lot of times when it comes to, let's spiritualize that real quick. When you're walking in sin, let's, and that, that word darkness is another word for sin. If we walk in darkness or if we walk in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, when you're in a perfectly dark room, you have one goal. What is it? Find light. And because you're not sure who's around you, you can't work together many times for the common goal because you're just trying to keep yourself from either dying or tripping over a chair. And what happens is when the light comes on, it allows us to work together toward a goal, right? So we have darkness and we have light. This, this thing kind of works its way all through this passage. God is light. And light is another word for holiness or righteousness. So we have two contrasts here. You have living in sin and living in righteousness or holiness. Now, in verse, uh, this is the message, verse 5, which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light or God is holy, righteous. Everything about him is light. In him is no darkness or no sin at all. Now, if we say that we have fellowship or a common goal with him, with God, and walk in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if I say that I'm close with God, and yet when that says that passage, that little phrase there, it says, walk in darkness... If I am telling you that I'm living in deep communion with Christ and yet I'm holding on to a specific certain sin that I do not want to let go of, whether I enjoy it or whether I get tripped up by it and can't escape it, I cannot hold on to sin and hold on to Christ at the same time because it's not possible. But if we walk in the light, if we walk in holiness and light, not only do we have fellowship with him, but it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, that's the crazy thing about living together in a body. One person or another person, we're all going to have these seasons of life where we are grabbing on to sin at the same time, reaching, like, hating that it's happening, but maybe not knowing how to get rid of it, and then trying to reach toward God. But it's only at the time when I'm like, God, I don't want this. Would you please take it and help me beat it? And then it's only at that point that I can pull together, and that's when true fellowship or true communion happens with other bodies, with the rest of the believers. 
And our job as those of us who are holding on to Christ, if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And you know what else that frees us up to do? It frees us to work together to help those who are holding on to those sins. And like say, come on, let's come away from this. Come away from this. That's actually one of the incredible ministries of a church. The desire for holiness and the desire for Christ is the foundation for fellowship. The mindset is not found in our ability to live a perfect life. Quite honestly, because that's just not possible. To live a perfect life, it's not possible. And that's not what God is asking us to do. God is asking us to follow after him. Um, The true fellowship happens, it's found in our willingness to be openly broken with each other. Because let's be super honest with everybody. Everybody who's jacked up just a little bit, put your hand up. Go ahead. We're all just a little bit jacked up. We are all failing regularly. And true fellowship happens in our willingness to say, I am a little bit messed up. And for some of us, it has to be, I'm a lot messed up. (laughs) When we confess our sin, we'll see that in verse 9. It, his, it says, when he confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse, when it says to cleanse us, it means he continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is constantly saying, here, come to me. I can clean you. Come to me. I can redeem you. I can help you in your hardness. If we create a common foundation that we're all broken and brought to life by the love and the sacrifice of Christ and that what happened on the cross, it's only in that point that we can actually see and feel true fellowship. It's only at that point. What does common brokenness contain? Like, okay, we are all commonly broken. We all have this understanding. Number one, it contains humility. It also contains the recognition that we are prideful. And it also contains a a certain level of gratefulness for what Christ did on the cross for us. That mindset, if we all have that together, what it does is it creates the foundation where we can walk in the light. The road to holy living, it starts in brokenness. Now, once our faith journey begins, when I, I come to that point where I say, Christ, please take away my sin. I believe in Jesus, that he lived a sinless life, died for my sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that he offers to me salvation based upon nothing that I can do, but everything that he's done for me. Once I have that as a common foundation, once we begin that journey in walking in the light, a process of growth, it begins. And how many... If, it, if you're anything like me, my process of faith, my growth in faith, happens in two steps forward, sometimes three steps back. And then I take four or five more steps forward, and then two or three steps back. And 
what we have a tendency, what I have a tendency to do is I say, okay, God, I think I have this portion of this, like this part of my sinful heart that I think I kind of have it under control. <laughs> what typically happens, bam, I fall flat on my face again. And my response is usually, uh, I can't believe I thought I was doing so well. And that's your trigger. That's the thing I want you to think in your mind. When I think that I'm doing well, it's at that point that let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because if I think I'm doing okay, that opens the door to failure. Let me talk about what happens in failure. We, have, we try to avoid failure like it's the plague, right? Why? Because failure, let's, let's be really super specific, sin. When I sin, I try to avoid sin, right? But when I sin, uh, the reason I try to avoid sin is because it hurts the heart of God. That's my ultimate reason. But when I do, there's two responses. There's cover-up, and then there's confession. Covering up doesn't help. Because all it does is it makes you retreat into what? It makes you retreat into darkness. But if I take the sin and I say, okay, God, here it is. I failed yet again. If I confess my sin, what is he faithful and just to do? He's faithful and just to forgive it. And then he cleanses me and makes me clean. Now, not in a like salvation sense, but he says, I have covered that with my blood. Come back into fellowship. Confession of sins to Christ, recognition of mutual brokenness. Like, I know I'm broken. And I think all of us kind of understand we're kind of broken, right? Yes? Why do we hide our brokenness from each other? Isn't that a strange thought? If, we're all, if we all know we're broken, why do we try to hide our brokenness? Because I don't like to reveal weakness. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't like to reveal that I'm weak. That's why guys go to the gym. That's why, that's why we try to have the stoic persona of strength. We don't like to appear weak. And then what happens is we put on a mask. Everything's good. And then we adopt lingo. And then we have these catchphrases that we use. Uh, it's called church ease or churchianity. It's a phrase, phrases that we use. When sometimes when some comes, someone comes to you and says, how you doing? We like to say, what? I'm good. How are you? How often have you come to someone and when they said, hey, how you doing? You can look at them and say, man, I am broken. 
Well, sometimes the reason why we can't do that is because we don't feel that we can. Because it's given, it's, a, it's, a, it's an understanding that, well, you can be broken, but be broken at home, okay? This isn't the place for brokenness. So the byproduct of walking in the light is fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. The next step, once that foundation is built, is to gel around a common goal. That common goal as a, as a church, and this is something that uh, being part of a, a new startup down in, in Rifle, trying to reach the folks of Rifle and that side of the valley, we're clarifying that common goal and constantly bringing it before the body. Is Once we are walking in the light, our goal is to help others see what it's like to walk in the light. And then we pull them along. And it's what, the, it's what uh, Corinthians calls the ministry of reconciliation. Um, the ministry of reconciliation is, as a body, we have this privilege of taking this incredible gift that he's given to us and then share it with others. And yet we also are so scared, we're scared of doing that too because of, we're all a little, have a little bit of people pleaser in us, right? We're afraid of what someone might think of us. There's a difference between knowing what God thinks of us or what God knows about us and what others think about us. And it is that we are many times not beautifully broken, but disgustingly broken. So our goal as a body is to reach out, share, and show the love of Christ to others. It's just that simple in every way that you have. So what's, what are some real life, like real life practical stuff? What does it take to share the love of Christ with others? Well, first of all, it takes a mindset. And that mindset starts with simply walking in the light as he is in the light. The second thing is it also takes three things. It takes time, and it also takes time, and it also takes time. Those three things, time, time, and time, it consumes one of your greatest um, one of the greatest things that you have. You know what it is? Time. <laughs> it also takes a welcoming atmosphere. And that's one of the things that I always loved about our church here is that we were very intent on being a really, really nice church. Shaking hands, getting to know people, saying, hi, how are you? Like, guys have the fellowship thing like community thing together, you have it down. I want to say you, you have it down, but always keep looking to get better and bigger. And I, I wish I could simplify it even more than that. It just takes those three things, time, time, and time, and a heart that walks in fellowship with Christ. 
What are some potential barriers? I'm going to kind of, I'm going to speed up a little bit in my conversation. Um, potential barriers for fellowship. Number one, it is uh, derailing. You get derailed. And there's three things, and they just all happen to be D. So number one is derailing. Number two is denial. Number three is distraction. So I didn't do that on purpose. It just happened. So potential barriers for fellowship is derailing, getting caught up or ensnared by a sin. Um, and, and a lot of things we think of like the big sins, the bad ones, the ones that cause really, really big pain and heartache in a family. And I'm going to say, yes, those things are true. But I'm going to go on a different route. How about fear and worry? How many of us, fear and worry has a really strange way of grabbing our hearts and pulling us right straight into darkness. Because you know what fear and worry is? I'm going to simplify this really, really easily. Fear and worry is not understanding that God has control of everything. Fear and worry is a God problem. Because if God is all-powerful, is He? If God is all-knowing, is He? If God is all-powerful, is He? Then what do I have to worry about? Nothing. But if it's a habit in my head and in my heart, it's easy to become ensnared by it. Is that not true? I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry about. And when I am fearing and when I am worrying, I am ensnared and pulled into darkness. Because having those two things control my heart, you know what they do? They make it almost impossible for me to think about my life from God's vantage point. How about another one? Lying. Um, uh, lying is, it's, it, that one's a slippery slope too, because it starts small. It's a small, small little white lie. Um, and if I desire truth in the inward parts, it requires me to be honest, not with just God, but it requires me to be honest with myself. I, I, I am totally and completely aware of all of my shortcomings and failures. It is not hidden from me. But if I cover those up and create a persona of strength, then it begins the process of living this stained glass masquerade. So the other thing, denial. And we're going to finish up with these two. Denial. Now, verse, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That verse, that phrase, if we say that we have no sin, if we say we have no sin nature, then we're living a lie. So that's denial. Um, pride says, I'm okay. Um, when reality says, no, you're not, because you have a, a foundational problem, which is sin. It's okay, because Christ took care of it for you on the cross. But if we say we have no sin, we are living in direct denial of everything that God says. Which, on one hand, who's true? 
Is it God that's true or is it me that's true? By the way, we have a huge, um, it's like a tidal wave of a, a new way of thinking where people say, and, and I've heard it said in multiple avenues, both in college settings, in high school settings, and even in some church settings, and it's paramount, it's everywhere in work. They say, live your truth. Live your truth. Well, what if your truth and God's truth don't match up? Who's true? Who's, who's right? Because if your truth and God's truth are at odds, it is unfortunate, but God's truth will always win. And there's only one, re only one reason why. There's only one reason why. is because God is the source of all truth. And if I create my own truth, you know what that means? It means I'm living in a world that I've created inside of reality. Living my truth is living outside of reality. And it's only when we press into God's truth that we can see things more clearly. So I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, um, and it happens to all of us. Don't live your truth, search for God's truth. And then finally, uh, distraction. We lose focus on the goal. Um, and the way that we lose focus on the goal is we get distracted by everything. Whether it's, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I like this more, and I like this more. I think this is the better way to do it. I prefer this. And then all of a sudden, we start fighting for our preferences. The moment that we fight for our preferences, we lose sight of our final destination. Um, and then what happens is we start putting an overemphasis on pet priorities, where this one thing is more important than another. Um, uh, Ferdinand Magellan, when, when he started off, when he left the port of Spain on September 20th in 1519, he had five ships, and their primary destination and goal was to return to Spain with, like, with all five boats laden down with these expensive spices. That was their end game. That was their goal. Well, when they hit, um, basically they hit somewhere in South America. That's when they hit the shore. And Magellan, his whole purpose was there has got to be a way through this big piece, this big mass of, of land. Because he, he landed on the edge of Brazil now, currently Brazil, and he said, this is not my destination. And so all of his, they had to stop for a period of time, retool their ships, and wait out some winter time. And during that time period, they had mutinies. One of the ships got sunk. Um, and in the mutinies, he, he had to kill two of his uh, captains that were captaining other ships. And then uh, one of the ships got stuck because he had sent it forward. It got stuck in a hurricane and sunk to the bottom. Another one caused another mutiny. And he actually killed most of those people and, and marooned the rest of them in South America. But Magellan never lost sight of what his end game and what his goal was. His captains lost sight. And what's easy for us to do as Christians is to lose sight 
of our final destination. Well, what ended up happening was they got over to these islands. They got around the bottom of Chile and Argentina, um, which, by the way, today is called the Straits of Magellan. The Straits of Magellan. And as they got down to the East Indies, yeah, the East Indies, and they found that they, they actually landed in Guam. Three, actually, I think it was two and a half years after they started, they left the coast of Spain. Two and a half years later, they landed on Guam. And they were like, where are we? And eventually, they kept going west. They kept going west. They landed. They found the island where it had all these spices. And in the process of that, Magellan, um, <laughs> he died. Um, he got a little too um, a little too prideful. Thought that he could take out. He landed on one of these islands and retooled and reloaded his ships. And in the process of doing that, was talking to one of these tribal leaders. And that tribal leader said, "Man, we really need to go. And these guys are these guys from this island over here are coming over to injure us and kill us." And Magellan's like, "I got it." So he pulled out one of his boats off of his ship. They rowed over. Actually, there was two boats. The two boats rolled over, and Magellan, being a like strong, he was in his. He, actually, he was uh, 41 at this point, so he was a pretty strong, scrapping guy. He jumps out of these long boats because the closest they could get was they were about thigh deep in water, and him and a few guys start running. Just a few guys. I think he had 60 guys. Come onto this beach, and they are met with over a thousand of these natives. And in the process of him being foolhardy and prideful, um, they saw these guys, these thousand guys on the, on the beach, saw that he was the leader. And they're like, let's take out the leader. And that's what they did. They took him out and he held them off long enough for his guys to get off the beach and onto the boats and they swam away, or they rowed away. But Magellan lost his life on that beach because of his pride. Now, what does that all have to do with fellowship? Remember your end game. Remember the goal. Remember where we're going. Um, and it's, easily be, it's easy to be distracted. And you can kind of look at sin as kind of like the scurvy. Because uh, the easy solution for scurvy was... Citrus. And for us, the easy solution for sin is confession. Now, I don't want to say that's easy because it's not because it requires us to swallow our pride. So, keep your eyes on the prize, and the prize is not heaven. The prize is not heaven. That's, that, that's a misnomer. The prize is Christ. That's what we are aiming for. We're not, and we're not aiming for our hardships and our hard times on earth to be ended. Because that's short-sighted. Our, hard, our hearts ought to be aimed at the one who saved our souls. Because when you strive after Christ and make him your end game, here's the question, is that enough? Because the, the, 
the final end game of having Christ as your all in all, when you get him, it is enough. And making him the focus of your heart will only end in seeing him face to face. That is where true satisfaction is. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're a bunch of fellows in a ship. Fortunately, you're in one ship, and I'm a jump ship and came over to your ship for a little bit. But we're all in this together. And um, it is an easy and a good, it is a good thing for us to set our hearts on walking in the light as he is in the light. So let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for real life practical illustrations of what it means and what it what it means to follow hard after you. Would you be honored and glorified with our lives today? We pray for continue to pray for Matt as he works with his family back there, back east. And uh, would you be honored and glorified with the outcome of there? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.